Galatians chapter number three, as we continue our series here, making our way through the book of Galatians. We'll finish up chapter three tonight and uh, we'll, we'll mark halfway through. We're halfway through. All right. And so I've, I've really enjoyed the study. It's been a huge help to me understanding more about salvation. I trust that's been a blessing to you as well. So once you've found your place in Galatians chapter three, if you'll stand in honor of God's word. We're going to begin reading in verse 25, uh, just to kind of set the stage and tie in a little bit, because again, these are kind of like thought for thought for thought for thought about salvation, and so they all tie together. So we're going to read verse 25, but we're going to cover verses 26 through 29 tonight. Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So that ties us back to last week. The schoolmaster was the law. It brings us to Christ, and once Christ has come through faith, then the schoolmaster goes away. We're no longer under a schoolmaster. Verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I love these verses. There's a lot of absolute statements of fact. <laughs> He's not leaving anything up for debate. He's telling them how it is, and it is good. So tonight we're going to be looking at this thought, the all-inclusive blessing of being a child of God. So may God bless reading his word. You can be seated. We'll get into our message tonight. When you plan a vacation, there are several things to consider, things to factor in, especially in regards to your budget. I mean, first of all, you're going to pick where am I going to go? Okay, well, that's a good place to start. Where do I want to go on vacation? And then you're going to decide, okay, am I going to drive there? And you're going to figure in your gas budget, how much it's going to cost. And the answer right now is a lot, no matter where you go. Across town, it costs you a lot in gas. And so you're going to factor that in. But if you're going to an island, you're probably not going to drive. You'll only make it so far. You're not going to drive your way to Hawaii. Uh, you might make it to the coast of L.A. and then drive into the ocean if you keep going, but you're going to have to fly there. So if you're flying someplace, Cancun, Cabo, uh, Hawaii, something like that, then you're going to need to figure out your airfare. Okay, how much am I going to pay for flights? Which route am I going to take? How am I going to do this? And then you also got to factor in luggage at some of those places. Now, if you fly southwest, you get that luggage for free. But if you're going to go United, if you're going to go Delta, you better expect to send some, spend some money on luggage. Then you got to figure out a rental car, okay? How much is that going to cost? The answer in California is a lot. It's going to cost you a ton. And then uh, you got to figure out, okay, where am I going to stay? Am I going to stay in an Airbnb? Am I going to stay at a hotel? And so you're figuring those things out. And then when you get to the hotel, you might need to budget in some money for food along the way. Budget in some money for maybe a case of waters there at the hotel um, or ice cream shops, and then you got to figure out what activities you're going to do. Am I going to do Disneyland? Am I going to do SeaWorld, San Diego Zoo, or Disney World? Well, that's going to take a little bit of money, so you got to make sure that you factor that into your budget. Well, one way to simplify it is to go to a place that's considered an all-inclusive resort, an all-inclusive resort. 
Well, as you can probably figure out, that means that everything's included. That maybe you got to pay for your airfare, but what you paid at the hotel, it was probably a lot of money. <laughs> but you know, once you get there, you don't have to pay for anything. There's shuttle to and from the airports. So they're going to take care of you there. They might have shuttles that take you to different places, and it's going to include your food at the restaurants. It's going to include your activities there, maybe at the gym or the tennis court or a golf course or something like that. Uh, it's going to include your time at the beach there if it's a private beach. It's going to also uh, include maybe even activities. They might plan your activities for you. And so that'd be a way to simplify it. You know, when I get an all-inclusive vacation or all-inclusive resort, then I'm going to go there. I don't have to add anything. I don't have to say anything more. I don't have to do or pay anything more. It's all-inclusive. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians about the fact that salvation by grace through faith in Christ, is an all-inclusive salvation. It's all-inclusive from the standpoint that anyone, whether you're a Jew or Greek, whether you're a bond or free, whether you're a male or a female, no matter what walk you come from in life, you can be saved. And so it's all-inclusive from that standpoint. It's all-inclusive from the standpoint that once you become a child of God, there's nothing left to do. Nothing left to say, nothing left to pay. Once you have become God's child, it's all-inclusive. It's all-inclusive from the standpoint that when you receive Jesus, you receive all the promises of Abraham and you receive all the blessings of God, the blessings of heaven, all the wealth. You become an heir of God through Christ Jesus. That means everything he has belongs to you. It's all-inclusive. The question at hand really then is this, how do you become a child of God? How does that happen? How does that take place? Well, the Judaizers in Galatia, they would have taught you that if you want to become a child of God, or if you want to become maybe more of a child of God, that's going to happen by becoming a Jew. That's going to happen by keeping the Old Testament law. That's how you really, I mean, yeah, you have Jesus, so you're kind of a son of God, but if you really want to be a son of God, then you've got to do this, this, and that. That's what they were saying. But what they taught was you can follow a list of rules and regulations in order to inherit greater promises and greater blessings from God. Well, if you're a child of God, let's just ask this question tonight, what makes you a child of God? What's the determining factor here? How do you become a recipient of the all-inclusive salvation that Jesus provided for you at Calvary? Well, let's just take a look at these verses here and we'll learn quickly how that happens. Look with me in verse 26. Paul just clears off a spot and he says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's pretty plain and simple. See, he's saying that, Faith in Christ gives you a whole new relationship with God. It gives you a new standing with God. When you trust in Christ, that new standing is you are his child and he is your father. It's a new relationship. Well, what does it mean when, when you become a child of God? Well, a child of a father is an heir of the father. It means that everything that belongs to that father belongs to the heir. And so what that means is when you trusted Christ as your Savior and you became a child of God, that means you became an heir of God. 
An heir of what from God? An heir of the righteousness which is of God. You became an heir of the inheritance which belongs to God. You became the heir of a mansion in the sky that belongs to God that Jesus is preparing for you today. All the blessings and all the promises of the Father are transferred to you. Well, how did this transaction take place for the Galatians in particular? Was it by keeping the works of the law? Was it by being circumcised and becoming a Jew? Was it because they followed the pharisaical rules and regulations of the Mishnah and the Talmud? Is that how this transaction took place? No, he tells them it was by faith in Jesus Christ. Ye are God's children by faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does this mean? Well, when Paul talks about being baptized into Christ, he's not talking about baptism saving you. Because it doesn't make any sense that he would spend all this time talking about how circumcision can't save you, only to turn around and say something like baptism could save you. It doesn't make sense. So what's he talking about here? Well, if you consider modern day Christianity, we don't really have a scriptural standing on baptism. What do you mean by that? I mean that somebody might get saved and they might never get baptized. Just never decide to take that step. Or they may get saved and then they wait for weeks or months or even years to be baptized. It's not something that, that happens simultaneously. But when you look at the scripture in the book of Acts, what do you find? They believed and were baptized. They were taught repent and be baptized. And so what you saw there was the moment that they got saved, immediately following that salvation, they were baptized. Okay, and so what Paul's talking about here, he's really talking about baptism from the same standpoint that he talked about receiving the Holy Ghost in the beginning of chapter 3. That he said, received ye the Holy Ghost by the works of the flesh? And no, it was by faith. And so the same way there, he's saying that, see, the way that they did it back then that we probably ought to get back to doing is that you got saved. When you got saved, you received the Holy Ghost. And after you got saved and received the Holy Ghost, you were baptized. It happened like that. And so what he's talking about here is really their salvation experience, what happened surrounding their salvation. So he says this, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have been saved, have put on Christ. What does that mean? This word put on, it, it means to dress yourself, to clothe yourself. Okay, what's this talking about? Well, it's referring actually back to the idea of the schoolmaster that you remember from last week that when the law was our schoolmaster, that the schoolmaster was a hired servant who supervised over these wealthy children, the heirs of these wealthy parents. And so they supervised over them and they taught them. They were moral uh, instructors in their lives and they supervised these children until they were about 16, 17 years old. And at that time when the schoolmaster would fade off the scene, then they would change their garments in the ceremonial situation. They would remove their crimson bordered garments and they'd put on the Roman toga. You remember the Roman togas? You know, it's almost like a white, white dress with the white sash that holds it up over here. And so that was, that was the man garments. If you think back then, those Roman guys, you see pictures of the Roman people in togas, they were always ripped. They were like gladiators. And so that's really what it signified, that, that whenever the schoolmaster went away, when they transitioned into adulthood, they would put on this new toga. 
what the Apostle Paul's doing here is he's, as he's finishing this analogy through, what he's saying is that when you, when you trusted Christ as your Savior and that schoolmaster faded off, it faded off so you could put on Christ. That means you're joined to him. You're identified with him. You're clothed in his spotless garments of righteousness. And so he is now your clothing. And so when Paul, you follow the analogy there, really what he's talking about in this context of becoming a child of God is that, the, that now that you have Christ, now that you have the one to whom the schoolmaster was bringing you, there's no more need for this schoolmaster. You have left your relationship to the law and entered into a new relationship as a child of God. So he's talking about there's a transition that's taking place there in your life. Why? Because now you have Christ. Now you have the one that the schoolmaster was bringing you to. So let me just say this. You're not automatically a child of God because you were created by God. You know, there's a saying out there, we're all God's children. I just have to tell you, that's not true. The scripture teaches you must become a child of God. Yes, you're created in God's image. You bear his image. You are his created being, but it doesn't mean you're his child because without Jesus Christ, the scripture says you are a child of disobedience, that you are alienated in your mind by wicked works that you're separated from God. But what happens is when the law brings you to Jesus Christ, the law goes away and you then become a child of God. Well, how do you become a child of God? It's not by praying some special prayer. It's not by going through some ritual or even being dunked in a baptistry. That's not what becoming a child of God is. It's not piling up your own good works. It's not by keeping the law. It's not even by giving all your money, though we would use it. <laughs> That's not what it's about. That's not how you become a child of God. How do you become a child of God? He says, by faith in Christ Jesus. Well, once you place your faith in Christ, you have a new standing with God. Well, what is this new standing with God based upon? Let me start by telling you what it's not based upon. Your, your standing, your relationship as a child of God is not based upon societal structures. Look at what he says in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. And so that means that, that your standing before God is not based upon your ethnicity, the color of your skin, or the culture that you came from, or the country that you came from. That's not what, what it's based upon. That, see, the Judaizers taught that if you really wanted to inherit the promises of Abraham, if you really wanted to become part of Abraham's seed, then you need to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew. And so what they were saying is this. If you're going to be a child of God, you've got to be a Jew. Paul says that's not true. He says when it comes to, uh, to your standing before God as a child of God, there is neither Jew. There is neither Greek. He says that what that does really is it renders circumcision. It renders dietary laws. It renders holy days obsolete. Why? Because those are signifying marks of being a Jew. The only Gentiles who ever kept those were ones who converted to Judaism. And so if Paul is saying in Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, that means you don't have to keep all of those, uh, those laws. And so it's not based on your culture, your ethnicity, or where you came from. Then look at this. He says, there is neither bond nor free. That means that your standing with God isn't determined by your socioeconomic status in the culture. See, because... 
And of the prevalence of slavery in their day and time, uh, it would, it would, I mean, what you had is you had masters and slaves in the same household trusting Christ as their Savior. Well, in that household, that master ruled over that slave, some in kindness and fairness and justice and equity, and others rigorously and violently. And so you had that dynamic going on. And, and the tendency would be that as they come into the church, that it'd be the same thing as when they're at home, that there's an area of the house for the slaves and there's an area of the house for the household members, the, the parents, the children. And so there was this division. So it means that in churches, perhaps there was a slave small group and there was a master small group. And the idea here is that the master small group was in the sanctuary while the slave small group was back on the patio. There, there could be this difference, this dissension here. And what Paul is saying is that you can't view, you, when you've trusted Jesus Christ, the masters can't view their slaves as second or third class citizens. They can't view them as somebody that ought to be on the back of the bus anymore. No, how they ought to view them is that they are joint heirs with Jesus Christ and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. It knocks down that barrier between bond and free. But this could also have something to do with economics, too, because there's a huge economic gap between masters and slaves. The masters would be extremely wealthy. I mean, they could afford all these servants. They could afford this house where they needed servants or the land where they needed servants. And so, in other words, the masters had a lot to bring to the table. While they, I mean, including, including standing, including prominence, power, and authority. And so they could bring that to the table of the church. And then you had these slaves who could probably bring next to nothing to the church. And what Paul is telling them is that you should not view uh, you should not view them through the lens of what they can bring to the table, but rather you ought to view them through this lens that Jesus brought them to the table. That you're both sitting at the same table, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, whether you have a huge income or if you're living on a fixed income, you have a place in God's church. Why? Because there's neither bond nor free. It's not about race and culture. It's not about economic status. And then look at this. It's not about gender either. He says there is neither male nor female. See, back in their day and time, females were also viewed as inferior. They were viewed as, as uh, th their opinion didn't matter. They couldn't vote. Their voice didn't matter in, in uh, public opinion. Uh, they, they oftentimes were treated as property, treated as doormats. And I might just say this, that the same thing can happen today if we do not view women as God views them. For all the flack that the Apostle Paul gets for being a chauvinist and being a sexist, he sure was in favor of the fact that men and women are equal in God's eyes. He sure was. He says there is, is neither male nor female here. <clears throat> now, let me say this, that Paul is not advocating for a genderless society. That's not what he's saying here. Okay, there are liberal scholars that would say that that's exactly what it's talking about, that gender doesn't matter anymore. You can be whatever you want, that God didn't create genders, that man made genders. No, that's, <laughs> that's just a misunderstanding of Scripture, but that's not Paul's point either. Okay, his, he's not teaching here that, uh, that, there are that, that the, the distinctions in race, culture, class, and gender do not exist. All we can do is look around to see they still exist. <laughs> there is a big difference between men and women. 
There is a big difference between uh, black culture and Hispanic culture. There's a big difference between Asian culture and, and white culture. I mean, there are differences in cultures. There are distinctions there. There are differences in economic standing. And so he's not saying that those just don't exist. Every person has their designed role and place in family and in church and in society. All of that is still there. What he's saying is this, when it comes to being a child of God, none of it matters. In other words, you're not more of a child of God because you're a man. You're not more of a child of God because you're a woman either. <laughs> you're not more of a child of God because you're white European. You're not more of a child of God because you're Hispanic or African American. You're not more of a child of God based on your culture, based on how much money you make or how much money you don't make. It's not at all based on any of that. None of that matters in God's eyes. Why? Because, because being a child of God is not about who you are. It's not about where you come from. It's not about what you can bring to the table. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching here. What he says, in fact, is this. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? As we come to a church service, there shouldn't be a women's side and a men's side. There shouldn't be a minority side and a majority side. There shouldn't be a Republican side and a Democrat side. There shouldn't be any of that going on in the house of God. Why? Because every single one of us, no matter where we came from, no matter what we do, have been brought into one body in Christ Jesus. None of those things matter anymore. Why? Because their standing as his children is not dependent on who they are, or where they come from, or what they do. Well, what is this standing with God, our position in Christ, our place as a child of God? What is that based upon? Look at verse 29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know what he's saying there? That your standing as a child of God is dependent upon your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what it's dependent on. That's all that matters. And so again, the Judaizers were teaching that to be a child of God, you've got to be a child of Abraham. And the way to become a child of Abraham is through circumcision and to keep the law. That's how you become a child of Abraham. But Paul is saying that if your faith is in Christ and you are joined to Christ, and if you belong to Christ, then you are a child of God, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Greek, regardless of whether you're bond or free, regardless if you're male or female. What matters is this, whether or not you are Christ's. Look at the emphasis here on Christ. Verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in what? Christ Jesus. <laughs> and then he says, and if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abram's, Abraham's seed and heirs. See, Paul is also clear, though, in this, that if they have Christ, then they already are children and heirs of God. He says in verse 26, for ye are all the children of God. He says in verse 27, ye have put on Christ. He says at the end of verse 28, ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And he says, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed 
and heirs. And so Paul is speaking in terms of finality here. It's as if he's saying this, that if you are Christ, then why are you looking for something or to become something by the law that you already have and are by faith in Christ? Why would you do that? And so what Paul is teaching the Galatians here is that they are the children of God, not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, but because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. I have up here with me a birth certificate. Certificate of live birth. The child's name is Mark Silas Martinez. Born March 28th, 1989 at 6.01 p.m. Coming in at 22 inches long and weighing a whopping 10 pounds, 4 ounces. It tells me who my mother is. Sherry Catherine Wolliver Martinez. It tells me who my father is. Kenneth Dwayne. Martinez, I didn't need to look at, okay, I didn't need to look at it, I just am for emphasis point. It tells me what my first address was. It says, four, wait, where'd it go? Four zero, no, 3303 East 4th Street, Stillwater, Oklahoma. It tells me the date I was born. It tells me to whom I was born. It tells me where I was born. And it was signed by Dr. S.S. Hannon, Hannon, however you say it, Hannon, okay? And it was notarized by Mrs. Elizabeth McLean. And so what this document does is it tells me who I am. It tells me who I came from. It tells me to whom I belong. And it tells me where I live. It tells me where I belong. And so you know what happens? I don't need to work my way to become my parents' child. It tells me this is my father. It tells me that everything he owns is one day going to be divided up between me and my brothers who also have one of these that tells them they belong to him. Now, it's not going to be a lot, <laughs> but what he, has, what he has will be ours. It tells me that I'm an heir. It tells me that I'm a, a child of Ken Martinez. And I don't have to go through some lengthy adoption process. I don't have to go through some legal proceedings and some formalities to become his child. Why? Because this certificate tells me all I need to know, and that is that I am a son of Ken Martinez. Well, can I tell you this? That when you believe the gospel and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ became your new birth certificate. Not your old birth, your new birth. And what happened is when you believed the gospel and when you trusted Christ, Jesus wrote a date on there. And he wrote your name on there in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and he declared you to be a child of God. And he declared God to be your father. And what that means is there's nothing that you need to do in order to make yourself more of a child of God. There's nothing that you need to do in order to become more of an heir of God. No, you already have that through Jesus. 
What Jesus tells you is he declares that you are an, an inheritor of all the promises of Abraham and all the blessings of God, and you've inherited eternal life. And, you've, and you know what else he did? He wrote a new address on there, one that's attached to a mansion in the sky where you'll get to live forever and ever in the presence of God. And you know what he did? He signed it with his blood, and it was notarized in heaven. And there's nothing that you can be done. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can say that will make you more of a child of God or make you less of a child of God. Nothing. See, the only way that you become a child of God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? What Paul's teaching here is if you have Christ, Christ is all you need. He's already declared it to be true. So what that means is don't let anybody tell you that you need something other than Jesus Christ. See, circumcision can't make you more of a child of God. Abstaining from bacon can't make you more of a child of God. That might make you less of a child of God. I'm just kidding there. I love bacon, but that doesn't make you more of a child of God just because you abstain from that. Observing the Passover, the Day of Atonement, can't make you more of a child of God than somebody who doesn't observe those things. Why? Because you're already his child. Nothing can change that. And so what that means is you don't need some uh, crazy experience. You don't need to uh, speak in tongues. And while we observe the Lord's Supper and we do that to remember the Lord's death, just because you observe the Lord's Supper and take communion doesn't mean that you're any more saved than if you didn't. It's not about ordinances. It's not about sacraments. They, while, while the ordinances are important and were ordained by Jesus Christ, they have nothing to do with your salvation. They have to do with your fellowship with him your closeness to him, your communion with him. See, here's the problem, is when you try to add anything to Jesus, you actually take away from him. When you try to add to grace, you diminish grace. It's not that you diminish his grace in your life, you diminish your understanding and your grasp of grace. See, years ago, my wife and I got a gift card to the Cheesecake Factory, and so we decided to go on an anniversary date there at the Pearl Street Mall, and I decided because it was a good gift card that I was going to get the steak. I'd never had a steak there. I'd always had fettuccine Alfredo, but I said, I'm getting the steak this time. I'd like it medium, and when they brought this thing out, it was huge. It might have been a 20 ounce. I don't know, but it was massive. It took up the whole main plate by itself. And then the side dishes had to come on different plates. And when he came and he brought that steak and he set it in front of me, I said, can I get some A1 sauce? He looked at me funny. He, and I was like, what? And he said, I'll get it for you, but you don't need it. And I said, oh, I've heard that before. And so he goes to get the A1 sauce, and I cut that first bite into it. I mean, it was the juice poured out. It was pink. It wasn't still breathing. It was pink. And I took that bite, and, man, he was right. And so when he brought that A1 sauce, I just went like this. And he said, enough said. And he took it back. You know why? Because if I would have added A1 sauce to that steak, I couldn't have made it any better than it already was. In fact, I would have made it not taste as good. Or I should say this, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy it as much as I did if I had the sauce all over it. Well, listen, when it comes to your salvation, when you got Jesus Christ, you got the best steak you could imagine. 
And what happens is when you try to sprinkle baptismal waters on that and you try to sprinkle sacraments on that and you try to dip that in your own works and dip it in your own righteousness, here's what you serve to do. You lessen your enjoyment. Why? Because you're adding things to Christ that don't allow you to really enjoy how good he is because you're depending on yourself. You're depending on who you are what you came from, and what you bring to the table when Paul said none of that matters. All that matters is this. Do you have Christ? No amount of money you give can buy you into God's family. Getting baptized or joining the church doesn't make you a child of God. Attending church and even singing the loudest in the service doesn't mean you're a child of God. Although those things are great. And after you trust Christ as your Savior, you should get baptized and you should join a church and you should be faithful and committed to that church and find a place to serve God in that church and enjoy serving Jesus in that church. You ought to find that. But what I'm trying to say is this. It doesn't save you. It doesn't give you righteousness. It doesn't make you more of a child of God. No, see, you can walk into church every single week and you can dress the part, act the part, walk the part, talk the part, but, but yet not be a child of God. Why is that? Because the only way you can be a child of God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's your faith that ties you to Christ. And it's your direct tie to Jesus through faith that makes you a child of God. And it's your tie to Jesus that makes you brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's your tie to Jesus that makes you Abraham's seed and a joint heir with Christ according to the promises. That means that there's nothing left to be paid. There's nothing left to be done. Nothing left to be notarized. You are a child of God if you have Jesus Christ. You can only be his child through faith in Christ. So let me ask you this tonight. Have you trusted in Christ alone for salvation? I'm, I'm not talking about a process of gradually becoming a Christian. You don't find that in the Bible. It's not there. I'm not talking about being born into a Christian home. I'm not talking about your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith. I'm not talking about your friend's faith. I'm not talking about your pastor's faith. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about serving in ministry. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about this. Has there been a moment in your life when you believed the gospel and called out to Christ, confessing your sin and asking him to save your soul? Has there been that time in your life? Because Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, what you find in the teaching of the scripture about salvation and what you find in the examples given in the book of Acts is that salvation entails two things, believing in the heart and verbalizing your faith in Christ. And that does not happen through a flow of circumstances. That doesn't happen through years of attending church. That happens in a singular moment. I was not gradually born. I developed, but I was conceived. And I was born in a moment. And what I'm trying to say is this, that just like this certificate 
has a date on it, March 28, 1989, your salvation should have a date on it. I'm not saying that you have to remember exactly what day it was. That's not what it's about. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this, that salvation is not a process. Salvation is a moment. Salvation has a date attached to it. It's a moment when you confessed your sin and your need of Christ and you believed in your heart and you called upon his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I realize that and and the reason why I'm passionate about this is because in our day of weak need Christianity is what we tend to do is at the end of the service, we just tend to have some music playing and we say, just give your heart to Jesus. Just just trust Jesus, trust him for what? Your problems in life. That's not salvation, my friend. Salvation, according to the Bible, is believe and call. And I believe that our churches today are full of people who are depending upon something other than faith in Christ to save them. They're depending on somebody. They're depending on something that happened in their lives. They're depending on some experience when, when they were in a car accident and, and God saved their lives and they didn't die. Listen, there's a difference between God preserving your life in an accident and God saving and redeeming your soul. There's a difference. And so I am passionate about this. And by God's grace, as we preach the gospel here, we're going to communicate what the scripture teaches, and that is belief and call belief and call. So let me ask you, has that happened in your life? Has there been a moment when you trusted Christ and called upon him to be your savior? If that hasn't happened yet, that can happen and needs to happen tonight. It does. But if you have, if you have believed and if you have called on Christ, you know what that means? You're a child of God. (laughs) That means you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That means everything that belongs to God belongs to you. That means you're going to have eternal life and spend forever in his presence, enjoying him, worshiping him, praising him for all of eternity, not worrying about how long the preacher's going, not worrying about how long the singing's going. No, it's (laughs) that's going to be life and you're going to love it. I'm excited about that for you. But listen, what that means is this. Why should you be doing things today to try to get or become something you already are by faith in Christ? So stop trying to give your way into a better standing with God. Stop trying to serve your way into greater acceptance. Stop trying to follow rules and regulations thinking that somehow you'll be more of a child of God. So those things are important once you get saved. But if you're doing those to add to Jesus, they take away your enjoyment of him. Well, Pastor Mark, what's left to do then? (laughs) Love him. Serve him. Worship him. Commune with him. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Let him become a part of your daily life. 
Let him change you. You're not doing things in order to be right with God. You do things because you are right with God. You don't do things to earn more acceptance with God. You don't come to church so that you can be more of a child of God. No, you come to church because you are a child of God. You give because you are a child of God and everything he has belongs to you and everything you have belongs to him anyways. There's a huge difference there. And so all that's left for you to do if you are a child of God is just love him and enjoy him and delight in him. And that is where you will find the greatest fulfillment in life that you can have. Why? Because you're doing what you were created to do. And that is to enjoy and worship God all of your days. That is an all-inclusive salvation. That's not something you have to pay for. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something that you can go and get for yourself. No, when you trusted Christ, God said, here's it all. Here it all is, and it all belongs to you. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we're grateful.